to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To uh, uh, account for this unrepresentative swell over there. Hey Nick, how are you? Hey dude, I'm actually good. How are you, Rob? I'm great, mate. <laughs> that was different. That caught me off guard. That was a different little ditty to what you usually say. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to speed it up a bit, you know? Yeah. I feel like last few episodes have been a bit uh, lackluster in energy. So we talk really quickly? Yeah, we're going to be really <laughs> so quickly. really yeah. easy to understand? <laughs> Let's not do that. Yeah, no, no we won't. Don't worry. Um, how, how's it going, Rob? It's going all right, man. I'm working, working all day, every man, day. Man, you're really being ground down by the system. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I've become a cog in the machine. You literally are, and you're only 20, 21. Yeah. That's crazy, man. I've submitted to neoliberalism already. Yeah, exactly. Me? I've committed to studying for another three years, and I'm not working hey, at I'm all Hey, I'm also going to study. <laughs> yes, Nick. <laughs> the summer of Nick. <laughs> the summer of me doing nothing. <laughs> God, that's going to be fun. I'm excited for it, Nick. Uh, I'm, yet, I'm yet to see it, though. Yeah, well... The summer has just begun, Rob. That's the thing. Has it? Yeah. Yeah, it has actually. I submitted my last essay last Friday. Yeah, good point. Pretty woke essay. Oh, I think you it's reckon? pretty good personally, um, but we'll see. After you always read back your essays in polls and you're like, wow, I am so smart. I know. Because <laughs> you always think they're really terrible while you're writing them. Yeah. And then you're like, hang on. <laughs> It'll, it's all clear now. <laughs> it all makes sense now. I really am a genius. And then you get your mark back, or at least in my case, this is I get my mark back and I go, oh, yeah, that actually, yeah, that's really dumb. Yeah, I get my mark back. I'm like, oh, yeah, no. That's, <laughs> that's more fitting. Oof. I'm actually pretty normal. Got my wisdom teeth out, Rob. I know, mate. I little, mean, little we're, sore. we tried to do this podcast yesterday, I think. Well, uh, yeah. I joked about doing the podcast yesterday, knowing that you had your wisdom teeth removed. <laughs> I, How are you on, feeling, mate? Yeah, I'm feeling all right. I'm on some meds, ibuprofen, great stuff, the killer stuff, really, actually, <laughs> really good. Otherwise, I'm feeling all right, a little sore, but, you know, I think no swelling, really, unless, That's Rob, great. am I swelling? You, now, having looked at my face for 30-something weeks, do I look swollen? Nah, not really. I wouldn't. I would never describe you as swollen, Nick. I still You're not swole at all. I'm so, hey, I'm swole, not swollen. <laughs> I still have my boyish charm and my perfectly good looks. Great jawline on you, Nick. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Yeah, people have used it as a cheese grater before my jawline, but fuck, you're a dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> Some news, Rob. Big sure. news. South Australia is the next state on the hit list. How do you feel about that? It seems to already be under control, though. Didn't the, yesterday the cases were down to like were six? They? God, I really should have checked this. I think they were down to like six from the spike to sixteen. Yeah, I, I, I told you before the podcast that you know the, the coronavirus is already seen all you need to see in Adelaide, and <laughs> I think it's going to get out of there pretty quickly. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, already already the murder capital of the world, as we talked about before. Yeah, so no need to stick around if you're a virus. <laughs> yeah exactly um it seems like well you know this makes sense i think i was talking about someone else what seems to be the case in melbourne was that it was an issue of hotel quarantine and the security guards that really started that whole thing but this south australia thing feels like it's not a systematic or at least not yet like a, a systematic error in the way they're dealing with covid it was just a hot spot yeah it did come from a hotel quarantine as well 
Um, which yeah, I think the they're gonna add precautions to test um, hotel staff that work at quarantine hotels every seven days. Right. Whereas before they were just looking for symptoms and testing based off that. The issue there was the asymmetric. Asymmetric? Asymmetric. Asymmetric. Very table. good. Rob, we've only been out of uni seven days. You don't have to exaggerate this, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you got anything else for me, Nick? Yeah. Clearly, since you're the, the brains of this cast. <laughs> uh, more vaccine stuff. I saw another study saying there was another vaccine candidate, which is 95% effective, allegedly. Oop. I think the point is that just vaccine stuff is on the horizon. I think people are talking about next uh, winter. For Australia, yeah, and it should be pointed out that a vaccine doesn't have to be one hundred percent effective. If if anyone's done health economics or even maybe game theory, um, mm. or economic policy, you know that um, if for a vaccine to truly stop spreading of a virus or to be effective, they only really need to be about sixty percent, uh, you know, effective and taken by the population. Yeah, it depends what disease it is, but basically you just have to get that R value. People who know about COVID, or most people who read about it will know that the R value is like how much it infects other people. If you get it below one, um, it'll start infecting people and die out. So you seem to get enough people vaccinated to get that R value above one or below one. Um, so yeah, it doesn't have to be perfectly effective, but it does have to be taken by a lot of people. Yeah. So we'll see what happens, but I mean the yeah I think the point is some maybe exciting stuff on the horizon for vaccines. Yeah. Um. So these vaccines still won't be able to really reach the full populace by probably July next year. Yeah, that's what so. everyone's saying. Yeah. So don't book trips to Europe next year, guys. No. That's probably my my tip for you. No, no trip to Europe for us, Rob. No, mate. Next year. The year after though, twenty twenty two. Twenty. Watch out, Europe. Twenty twenty two. I'm coming for you. Yes, I'll be, mate. I'll be I'll be mostly a lawyer by that time. That'll be nuts. Mostly, a lawyer. Yeah, I would have done most of the units. That's crazy. Yeah, by that time, I will be a master. Of oh yeah, you'll be a, the master. <laughs> I will start the podcast. Excuse me, master. How are you, master? Um, uh, what's next, Rob? Um, Dominic Cummings, the UK. Um, I don't even know what his cabinet portfolio was. Basically, it, Boris Johnson has had a big shake-up of his government in the UK. A lot of allegations of uh, highly centralised decision-making, uh, kind of a cabinet that didn't work at all. Um, ministers didn't get a say. So Boris Johnson ain't doing too great. No. Um, Amid COVID. Nor is the UK for that factor. Yeah. Just going to say, yeah. In the uh, mix of a second wave? Maybe even the third wave. Yeah, well, what at what point do you start you know, classifying, okay, this wave is done and now this wave's begun? And just because saved. the US has had like, well, like 15 different waves at yeah, this point by it's now. It's just one big tidal <laughs> one, wave. One wave. <laughs> it's just one huge wave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, in the midst of still one huge wave, um, but, you know, the birthplace of democracy... Rob, not looking too hot. Isn't that Greece or the US? Yeah, true. <laughs> the birthplace of uh, Westminster democracy, Rob. Not yeah. Lo- not looking too hot. Great point, Nick. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, in, a, in a funny bit of news, Trump fired his cybersecurity chief who said that the election, there was no evidence that the election was um, uh, fabricated. Trump just went out and fired them. Yeah, as you do. So, um, 
So yeah, Trump Trump's falling further and further down the rabbit hole. Yeah, so um, I remember when every, the other week where everyone was like, oh, all the Republicans um, and the people close to him will like tell him to accept the result. It'll be fine. That didn't happen. <laughs> no. Um, a lot of Republicans have supported him. And it. I was thinking about this in the car on the way home today from work. I was like, how the fuck is like these internet conspiracy theories that you know used to just be internet conspiracy theories are now mainstream views held by half of the best country in the world yeah it's insane i know um very funny nick (laughs) yeah media neoliberalism that's what i say yeah um Um, on the topic of trump though should we should we talk about uh what joe biden's going to be doing when he is the president and what he can do oh yeah i'll buy it oh yeah so what's the so so to, to to clarify so joe biden will be in the white house uh next year january uh assuming trump doesn't try a takeover of a coup d'etat which i don't he, think is he likely will not be able to i don't think the military is that keen on trump no terrorist. no I, I think it'll be very difficult so joe biden will be in the white house um the democrats are unlikely to have control over the senate rob is being bombarded by sunlight <laughs> this is what you deserve but this is karma um uh so there's going to be runoff elections in georgia um for two senate seats um in january and if the Democrats win both those elections, they'll have 50 senators out of 100. Uh, and in that case, if there's a split vote, Kamala Harris, who will be the VP, uh, provides a deciding vote. So there's a long shot chance the Democrats could win the Senate. But I don't know, Rob, do you think that's likely? I don't think it is likely. Georgia is, even though it has gone blue uh, in the most recent presidential election, Georgia is a Republican stronghold state traditionally. Um, and to see two Democratic senators from a state like that, it, it's quite unlikely, I think. And I think it's actually interesting. I heard this on the radio on the way up or somewhere. I can't remember where I heard it. Um, but pretty much they were saying that a lot of the a major reason why Trump and a lot of his Republican allies have refused to accept the defeat is to hold on to that base in Georgia and ensure good turnout in February because their control of the Senate is going to be massive in ensuring that the Republicans don't lose all the progress in quotation they've made uh, <laughs> under the Trump administration. That's a really good point. I've not heard that. Can you imagine here Trump puts this whole show on until like January when those elections are? And then after, the day after the runoffs, he's like, okay, yeah, now nah, we're done. I lost. <laughs> See, ya. See ya, guys. Yeah, it's it, concerning. It'll be well, it'll be interesting because people have pointed out um, the Democrats will throw all the money they have at those elections. And the um, Democrats are significantly richer than the Republicans. Yeah, this time around. It, it changes often, but big tech is behind the Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's a big, big powerful force in America. Um, and the Republicans will throw their money as well, but I think the Democrats win in that battle. So uh, it'll be really interesting. Yeah. I think they will get at least one of those seats. The yeah, Democrats. I think they'll get one. And that'll be interesting because then it's a 51-49 and they just need one dissenter, one Republican dissenter. But and surely there's a senator in there. 
I'm not sure what Mitt Romney's doing nowadays. Is yeah. he a senator or a house of reps? I think he's a senator. I don't know. He'll happily... <laughs> he's basically a Democrat at this point because he, <laughs> well, you know, accepts democratic procedures. I know. Well, that's what it's come to, as <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you're just not aligned with Trump and you're a Republican, you're basically a Democrat. Yeah, exactly. And now the Democrats are like progressive far-left socialists. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. What, what happened, dude? But assuming, <laughs> Rob, um, Joe Biden... Well, you know, assuming... Say, say he does get the Senate, say he doesn't get the Senate, what are his plans going to be and how successful do you think he'll be able to implement those plans i think it largely depends on the senate for the starters um so i'll put that off Mm. straight away but i think the number one thing that we australians should be concerned about is his energy policies Mm. and his policies towards climate change uh the u.s will join rejoin the paris uh climate accord yep um and he can do that without the senate so that's something that will happen regardless Yep. He plans to spend $2 trillion in green energy, um, which will be great uh, for Australia because, honestly, that's the only thing we should really care about as Australians when it comes to the US election, unfortunately, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because whether Americans get healthcare doesn't matter to us, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Americans. I don't want them to have healthcare. I don't care about okay. that. Uh, I wouldn't take it that no, far. I'm joking. <laughs> the healthcare stuff, yeah. So the healthcare stuff will require legislation in Congress. So that will be a, a, a big gladiator battle in the Senate. Yeah. And Biden care does go further than Obamacare. Um, pretty much it covers a, a kind of a middle ground that Obamacare didn't cover under its completely neutered. Uh, version yeah because you know, obama really struggled as well in the senate because the senate yeah. was still republican back then it flipped in 2010 uh, yeah yeah um so it'll be very very difficult for biden to get a lot done um without senate support yeah um so it is difficult to say at this point uh it largely depends on georgia again um you know who would have thought? Who'd have thought this ten years ago? Yeah, Georgia, the pivotal state. <laughs> um, I think. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they pass any COVID stimulus as well, because yeah. that's been the the big topic on everyone's minds in the US. Because they, I think, passed some stimulus ages ago when COVID was first happening, but everyone basically everyone agrees they need more stimulus, even the Republicans. But Republicans and Democrats can't agree on what that is and the president is donald trump is not doing anything at the moment to support that he's too busy he's playing a lot of golf lately yeah preoccupied doing other things like the donald trump's known for playing a bit of golf but he's playing a lot right now yeah i wonder how he's a handicap is actually i don't know maybe we shouldn't be worried about this (laughs) (laughs) on reflection Uh, we'll move on um yeah, well, I so it'll be interesting to see if they can pass that that recovery stimulus. Uh, I heard that um, it, Biden will likely reverse, if he can, again, the uh, corporate tax cuts that Trump passed. It's like one of the only things Trump did. Yeah, um, but I don't think that'll happen if the Republicans have a majority in the Senate. Yeah, again, I think Even that, your most moderate Republicans wouldn't want to increase taxes on the rich, I think. I think that requires Congre- congressional support. Because when Trump passed that, um, I think it must have been it in 2017. The, yeah. 
um, that was when the Republicans had the House. Yep. And they flipped. The, the Democrats won the House in 2018 and managed to stop any more Trump stuff. Yeah. Um, so Trump passed that. And this is actually a pretty key reason. Do you, have you noticed that the stock market skyrocketed after the Biden victory? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's because Biden, this is another thing that Biden will do, by the way. He'll, uh, you know, increase trade and trade relations with the likes of China and Mexico and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That's all executive order, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so what what will happen in the US, you'll see a lot more free trade and a lot more of those like traditional neoliberal policies, but you won't see the end of the the Trump era tax cuts. Yeah. Which is fucking the best world for big business. Yeah. Yeah, I mean big business as as it always does in the US, it it, it seems to win out of these political engagements, doesn't it? Yeah, the winner. Yeah. It's strange that when both parties are <laughs> Fundamentally in favor of you. I know. <laughs> um, what What about dip, uh, diplomatic policy, Rob? Do you think... I think America will return to that kind of um, global watchdog, um, hedge, more kind of active world leader kind of status that it had before. Yeah. Um, I think Biden said that he'll, you know, start to rejoin NATO. Well, not rejoin, but, you know... Or reintegrate, yeah. Reintegrate with NATO. Yeah. Um, and probably decrease... Trump's concerning, you know, chummy ties with Russia and yeah. North Korea and, you know, China for the most of his uh, presidency outside of election times. Yeah, well, I I, I want to clarify this point because I've heard people talk about um, Trump and China um, and it just seems to me people may be a bit confused about that, the nature of that relationship. Because um, on one hand, Trump did do the cozy, the weird cozy up dictator thing he did with Xi Jinping. Um, but at the other hand, there was also the big trade war. Um, yeah. But I will say, like Joe Biden's policy on China won't be like friendly towards China. No. Um, it will be, I think, pro-trade with China. Um, yeah. At least more pro-trade than Trump was. But the Democrats have been very active in calling out China for its human rights abuses and all that kind of stuff and just being uh, having a more a strong and critical rhetoric towards China. Yeah. So I think you will see Joe Biden being as aggressive towards China, maybe just in a different way. Yeah, you you can continue to see the US operate, you know, freedom of navigation through the South China Sea yeah. and all these types of things. Um and pretty much the US I feel like will return to its global hegemon role. Yeah. Rather than being this isolationist, uh, you know, kind of strange country that it is right now. Yeah. Um that actually does raise some concerns for Australia because under the Trump administration, we gained almost like a special status as an ally um, with the reduced um, effective, not effectiveness, uh, importance of the NATO relationship. Yeah. Trump uh, cozied up much more to Australia, which gave us some sort of special alliance um, compared to what Western Europe had. And now we don't have that anymore. Do you think that's cause for concern at all, or? Yeah, well, I mean, it'll. I think um, Joe Biden's Asia Pacific foreign policy will, I think, naturally leverage more of that um, uh, coalition kind of diplomacy, um, where it won't be as bilateral. It'll be more multilateral. So I think you're gonna see um, a greater connections between like India. Australia, New Zealand, um, Indonesia, Japan, 
against China kind of thing. Yeah. And that's different to, to Trump, which was a more bilateral with each country. Um, so, yeah, I think that is what you're going to see. And it's going to make that question in Australia all the more urgent. What do we do um, about the China question? I think another thing is the fact that Joe Biden is much more predictable as a character will make it a lot easier for both allies and enemies of the US to conduct uh, diplomacy with the US. Yeah. Which, fingers crossed, makes the world a bit safer because um, when you don't want to be diplomatic, it often leads to... (laughs) We all all know what happens. (laughs) Do you think the US... um prestige legitimacy rob has been harmed irreversibly uh by a trump presidency do you think their status as the kind of world leader in norms at least has been damaged i don't think so i think uh, because it's only been four years i think that's pretty key because there's still a lot especially since 2018 when um the democrats recontrolled uh the the house that is um you know, there hasn't been a complete overhaul of what has been built by the US in the past. So if it was eight years of Trump, maybe we'd have seen something different, but I don't think enough damage has been done to reduce, uh, well, you know, damage the US hegemony um, indefinitely. I'm inclined to agree, actually, I think. Um, you, Trump was a lot of words and less action. Yeah, um, definitely. And I think, you know, in this in the areas where Trump had action, such as leaving the Paris Climate Accords, withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal as well, Biden is just gonna try and enter back into those arrangements. Yeah. Um, so it remains to be seen, but I think I am erring on the side of the US will return to that role. But that role is ever changing, um, because of the nature of China's rise. And yeah, that, that's the key here. Um, this China problem, especially for a country like Australia, will not go away under a Biden administration. And I can't really see it going away while Xi Jinping is emperor for life or whatever his title is. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I think you're going to see a renewed emphasis on the Pacific uh, the US's role in the Pacific and a kind of strategic coalition power balancing act against China. Yeah, because we saw that a lot in Obama's uh, administration, particularly yeah. after 2012. His famous pivot to yeah. uh, Asia. Um, you know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is probably the the big example of that. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that is still enacted or anything. It's, yeah, the US withdraw, uh, withdrew, but it's still kind of fledgling between okay. Australia and a bunch of countries, people are saying Biden might actually try and enter uh, the um, Trans-Pacific Partnership again. There you go. Big free trade deal. So we'll see, actually. We'll, we will see, Nick, won't we? Last question, Rob. Do you think Joe Biden will be able to... Do you think he? it's his goal to, and will he be able to move the US away from the dominant neoliberal paradigm? No. Fundamentally, no. no. Fundamentally, yeah. no. Um, unfortunately for Joe Biden, a lot of his support from the Democratic uh, Party and Democratic primaries has come from that traditional elite Democrats. Um, and he, he's 
position himself as the centrist as opposed to someone like a Bernie Sanders. Um, and I think that all that means is just, you know, progressive neoliberalism in, in quotations. Yeah, I think you're going to see maybe some movement or along some of the more harsh lines of neoliberalism, such maybe such as Joe Biden raising the minimum wage, um, uh, kind of uh, undoing the, the corporate tax cuts, but nothing fundamental as maybe the likes of a Bernie Sanders presidency would have been or something. Yeah, there definitely won't be any uh, fundamental um, system changes going on under a Biden administration. Exactly. As you could imagine from a 78-year-old senile man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's not going to do anything. So, Rob, if nothing is going to change neoliberalism from above... Is we any... have to do something, don't we, Nick? Well, yeah. Is there any... What are the chances of it being changed from below, if you catch my metaphor? I do, Nick. Uh, that is pretty much the only way it's going to happen right now. Um, how that happens, though, is going to be very interesting to see. Will that come from you know grassroots social movements or will it come from institutionalized social movements such as uh you know a large majority of people joining progressive parties or even non-progressive parties and upheaving Mm -hmm. the neoliberal system that has existed really since the 70s or 60s yeah 80s (laughs) reminder um for everyone neoliberalism capitalism on steroids um making societies very unequal in terms of wealth, uh, destroying a lot of important government services. Generally bad. Google it. There are many essays, short short read essays on this. Yeah. Um, but I think over the past two years, three years, we've seen challenges to neoliberalism from big uh, center-left parties really failing. So like Corbyn failed. Bill Shorten, if you even want to call it a challenge to neoliberalism, failed. Um, Bernie Sanders Sanders, failed. So it seems like maybe if it's not going to come from above, it has to come from below. Yeah. If it is going to change or be challenged. But the issue with that, Nick, me and you, we've done a lot of uh, research into social movements, is uh, social movements that try and fundamentally challenge neoliberalism have failed. We look at Occupy, we look yeah. at the uh, 15M movement. Well, do you want to go walk through Occupy? Because I think that's probably the most well-known one to people yeah. in the West. Occupy, it was pretty much, um, you know, Occupy Wall Street. Might, some people might know it by that. It was um, pretty much people around New York just occupying Wall Street <laughs> and claiming that, you know, the 1% uh, getting too much benefits yeah. uh, compared to the 99%. Their slogan was, we are the 99%, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And they a bunch of protesters basically sat uh, on Wall Street in New York, famous street for bankers and financiers um, in their protest. I actually saw Occupy Wall Street, Rob. I haven't told you this. When I went to New York. Wow. That's very uh, interesting. I, want, I don't know if there are any dudes still there, but when I was there, there were people still there. Um, it looked pretty sad. This is a while after it started. Yeah. Um, this is the problem with a lot of these neoliberal um, what sort of protests yeah. and social movements is it's very difficult because neoliberalism is a very difficult um, concept to really you know, put forward and say, this is how we change it. You know, it's disagreed on how we change neoliberalism. It's very difficult for these social movements to have clear and definitive goals, yeah. I think. Yeah, big one. Um, and thus, a lot of people just get discouraged after in- inactivity, really. Yeah, because it's such a 
enormous scale um, the the uh, the scope of these social movements and the challenges that they're issuing. Yeah. Um, you know, neoliberalism is a is a paradigm that is not just limited to simple economic policy. It's a way of thinking about society and government. Um, it's a very like marketized, privatized, individualized mantra mindset that influences literally everything in in the society you'd be surprised how much you could you know if you guys go onto google scholar or even just regular google and just type in how neoliberal affects and anything you find interesting there will be a reason how neoliberalism has affected your very own interests yeah and it is so wide-reaching it is very pervasive um and how as a social movement do you even begin to unravel that yeah because as we've said a lot of times, to this is the fundamental, you know, system of the world. It is going to be so difficult for you know grassroots movements to change it, and we've seen from the top that it doesn't happen. Um, so it, I guess we're left with no other choice. Do are we? Nick? No, that's it. And you know the very the very nature of neoliberalism, um, kind of suggest to people that nothing is wrong and nothing needs to be fixed because it, it suggests that you know uh, economics and society is like a problem-solving exercise i think yes. i said this a lot before that it has a, a solution um and everything can be kind of drawn down to a, a correct answer and a wrong answer yeah and there's no value judgment involved there's no moral or ethical question there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer so you pick the right answer and, and you know that's that's what the that that's what the system is doing. It's picking the right answer, so everything else is up to you. And that leads to like a system justifying system, you know. Yeah. The system which argues for itself. Um, I think that's actually I made, did a reading on how this has affected the feminist movement, and I found that very interesting in saying that a lot of you know neoliberal women put down advances to you know women's rights to merit and these ideas that neoliberalism has really you know propagated of merit and individualism over what the feminist movement has done for these people i shouldn't say that (laughs) for women um which i found very interesting because it really shows how even we wouldn't associate feminism really too much with neoliberalism but clearly it's had effect yeah yeah a similar example for um the the uh, state of um, black people in America, mm. as an example, the, a big argument on the right and the only argument basically against taking more action um, on that issue is they essentially say there is no issue because black people are awarded the same access to the free market, to the neoliberal market as uh, everyone else. So any extra burden or any extra inequality is really like their fault. Yep. That's what the argument boils down to. And it's just, you know, it completely uh, evades any kind of, uh, any any notions that there's a systematic disadvantage there, there's institutional discrimination, which there is, and we know there and is. And this, this has been targeted actually by Black Lives Matter um, in their official, uh, you know, campaign. They often talk about how the links between capitalism and racism, and they call it, I think they call it racial capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so these these are so deep, and they run this this issue runs through everything, Nick. Yeah, it's um, so interlinked, and you know it is the the kind of 
neoliberalism, neoliberalism is the one thing that binds a lot of these problems together. A surprising amount. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And yeah, it's, people aren't aware of it though. So Nick, how do we change it? I think it was our original question and we haven't answered that question. Beat me, Rob. Yeah, it does beat me as well. I knew that I'd be rich. <laughs> Maybe well, not rich. Make, make your own system. I'd have where, social standing. Yeah. Good, good. I'd be the leader of the Labour Party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I think it, it's going to be very difficult for grassroots movements to do it, and it's very difficult to come from the top. So, we need to find a middle ground, Nick, I personally think. Oh, interesting. Um, I think that might come through institutionalization of social movements. However, that has shown to not work in for uh, the Potemos in Spain. Uh, which little background on that one? The M15 movement in Spain, pretty much very similar to the Occupy movement in America. Uh, they've formed a political party and they've sort of slowly become neoliberal. Um, but Nick, hopefully, fingers crossed that we can find a problem, a solution to this problem. Hey, yeah, the system does defend the system, but I think the the rhetoric of neoliberalism, just the very even existence and acknowledgement of the word um, is is cropping up a little bit more, um, yeah. especially in, in academic papers and that I think bleeds into the public discourse a little bit more. Yeah. And as all these crises are unfolding as well, maybe people are waking up a little bit. Yeah, well, the three, the, I think you've talked to me about the three fundamental crises. Yeah, we talked about last week as well. Let's remind everyone though. Yeah, let's. It's uh, The first one is climate change. The second one's COVID. And the last one is the crisis of neoliberalism. Ah. And all these things are interlinked now yeah. in the world we live in. Yeah. And I think we can't solve one without solving the other, really. Exactly. They're all interlinked. Um, and you know, if you're interested, I, I think there's a lot of great reading to do. Yeah, you can message us and we'll, we'll, we'll happily send you some articles about this thing. It's um, really easy to read papers, especially yeah. Yeah, you don't have to know anything about economics. Um, yeah, it all, it all makes sense. It does. Um, so we'll probably talk to you guys next week then, I'd, I'd say. Let's wrap this one up. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully my teeth will be very a lot better. Won't yeah, be fingers sore. crossed for you, Nick. Thanks, mate. Um, so don't forget to follow us on our socials, guys. You know what they all are. You know, at Swill on Instagram, Swill on Facebook, and at Swill Podcast on Twitter. Good on you, Rob. Um, and we'll see you guys next week, I guess. See you later.